Um, apart from that, I'm just going to pray and, and begin after a sip. Oh, Heavenly Father, we just desperately want your word and your Holy Spirit to bring change and transformation to our lives. You've called us to be yours. You've chosen us from before the foundation of the earth. And you're making us more and more into the image of your Son. Let it be so this afternoon, Lord, that your word would change us, convict us of sin, cause us to throw ourselves upon your mercy found in Jesus Christ alone for forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Father, would you lead me and help me by your spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sorry, as you know me, micro-adjustments happen continually all throughout. All throughout. Anyways. I'm going to look straight up at, um, at uh, verse, from verse 21 today. Oh, thanks, Rod, that was quick. 21 to 24, actually. I'm just going to start there. No, no fancy intro today, just straight to the word. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for the, their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice According to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. If you haven't been here uh, for the last few weeks, particularly last week, you missed out on Christmas. I'm sorry to tell you. It was last week. The birth of Jesus Christ is where we um, were last week, and Dennis brought that message. Uh, but this week, the Christmas story actually continues. Uh, this this passage is part of the infancy narrative of Jesus Christ. It tells us more about the, the baby Jesus and, uh, and it, it just highlights that from the very beginning of his life, all the law of God was fulfilled. This is really important. Mary and Joseph um, are with Jesus and they're at the temple in Jerusalem. Um, they, they have Jesus circumcised on the eighth day according to God's law. You can read about that in Genesis 17, Leviticus 12, and Joshua 5. Um, as well as circumcision, they named him Jesus, just as uh, the angel Gabriel uh, instructed them to. They obeyed God there. They also obey God's law by performing an act of purification, which happens to the mother after childbirth. Again, you can read about that in Leviticus 12. And what would happen is the mother would take a one-year-old lamb or, uh, and a pigeon and a, or a turtle dove uh, to offer as a burnt offering and a sin offering to God according to the law. Uh, if she couldn't afford a lamb, she would take two pigeons or two turtle doves. Uh, and that's what Mary did here 
Um, and it's likely the case that it's because she couldn't afford a lamb. God had made provision um, for all people to be able to um, offer up the sacrifice there. Uh, so Mary and Joseph, they also consecrate baby Jesus to the Lord in accordance with the law, right? The life of Jesus belongs to the Lord. The, their firstborn child is set apart for the Lord's service. Exodus 13, you can read about that among other places. And so we can see that from the earliest days uh, of Jesus' life uh, began by fulfilling the law. The law had chosen a couple of seemingly poor, um, ordinary, yet obedient people to be his parents and they follow God's law and by doing so, Jesus himself uh, began to fulfill the law, even as, a, as an infant. It, and it had to be this way. It, it had to be this way. Um, as the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. In the words of Jesus himself later in his life, he would say, do not think that I have come to abolish the law but, or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. This is what one of the roles of Jesus. Right? Part of the mission of Jesus Christ was to perfectly fulfill the law of God. Uh, that's something that no one has ever done apart from Jesus. Uh, no Jew has done it and you and I certainly cannot do it. Because uh, if you've broken even one of God's laws, you've broken them all. And it, it can't be undone. Uh, and, the, and the breaking of God's law is sin and sin leads to judgment. Judgment leads to death and punishment. Um, but Jesus fulfills the law of God perfectly. He committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. None. None at all. And by fulfilling the law, Jesus then could become the perfect, once-for-all sacrifice for sin and make salvation for people like you and me a reality. If the law wasn't fulfilled, no perfect sacrifice, no salvation. You see how important that is, that Jesus fulfilled the law? Because by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. By the works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Romans 3.20 A person can only be justified or declared innocent, that's what we're talking about here, um, declared innocent in the sight of God by faith in Jesus. Um, there's nothing we can do to fix our broken relationship with God. Right? We've all broken his law. We can't make it up by doing good stuff. We just can't. Um, we can't earn it. In the words of um, Jonathan Edwards, you may have heard of that guy, he says, uh, you and I, you, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. Or he's saying the same thing in a, just in a different way. 
There's nothing we can do uh, ourselves, in and of ourselves, to be saved. Um, Jesus has done it all. Jesus has done it all. It started by fulfilling the law. See, salvation is a gracious gift given by a gracious God. That's what it is. Um, And it's to be received by faith in Christ. We cannot earn it. We can only receive it. And guess what? That's good news. That's good news. Because if you've got to work for it, well, like I've said already, you've broken one law, you've already broken them all already. You cannot remove that mark. You cannot remove that blemish yourself. But by faith in Jesus, God can. God can. And so we have, from the very start of Jesus' life, the law of God being fulfilled, um, lived out in real time by Jesus so that he could become that perfect sacrifice on behalf of all humanity. Now, the birth of a baby can be full of emotion, right? Many of us have probably experienced that, Um, full of various emotions. The waiting process can be full of excitement and hope and planning. Uh, In my experience, it can also be filled with stress and anxiety and doubts. Our firstborn uh, child was stillborn at 41 weeks a baby girl, Kiara. And so, you know, during Chris's second pregnancy, though it was exciting, it was loaded with anxiety for me, absolutely loaded. Um, but when that baby came and uh, she, she was breathing and had colour and life and cried... The, the relief was just intense. The, the relief that that baby had finally uh, arrived safely was just overwhelming. The, the, I, I remember the relief just filled the room. It just filled the space. It was like a pressure cooker and then, <sighs> finally, Yes. Now, in verse 25 to 32, we're about to meet a man that's going to find great relief because of the birth of a child. Look at verse 25 and 26 with me, please. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. A bloke named Simeon enters the scene. And we don't know a whole lot about him. We know a few things, that he's a a godly man, uh, a man who's devoted his life Uh, to God, a man who has devoted his life to knowing God's word and living in obedience to it. He's a devout and righteous man before God. But when the Bible says someone is righteous, it's not um, primarily because they're doing all the things, right? 
Uh, it's because of their faith. They believe God. They trust God. They take him at his word. Uh, and it's only those who believe God and trust his word that are counted righteous or justified in the sight of God. That's how it is today. That's how it's always been. They trust in God for the forgiveness of sins, for the, for the covering uh, of their sins. Um, and Simeon believes God. He has faith in God. He has faith in God's promises, so much so that he has spent many days and months and very, very likely years um, waiting for the promise of the Messiah uh, to be fulfilled. God's favour is upon this man. Uh, the Holy Spirit is upon this man. And God has revealed to Simeon in a very special way that he will not die until he lays eyes on the Messiah. Uh, the, the Messiah, which is the Christ, right? God's chosen redeemer uh, for Israel and the whole world. Simeon is righteous and devout and waiting for the consolation of Israel. What is the consolation of Israel? It's talking about this hope of the Messiah, right? God has promised that he'll send someone to fix uh, the mess that Israel has, has gotten themselves into, basically. At this point of history, the Jews have been through a lot. Uh, they've constantly rebelled against the God who saved them. Uh, many Jews are living hypocritical lives. Uh, they're very religious on the outside, but their heart isn't actually for God. Um, we hear Jesus talking about this. The nation has suffered oppression from enemies. Uh, they've experienced the pains of exile more than once and now are currently under pressure from the Roman government. Right? That's the kind of... That's where we are in, in this... Not today, but here. They're kind of... They're struggling. They're grieving. What has happened? And not all Jews are, were, were faithful to God here, but there is a faithful remnant of believers. A faithful remnant who, who knows God's promises and are hoping for relief for their nation. Relief from the frustrations and the pains that the other nations have brought upon them. These faithful ones want relief from the grief. And uh, the only hope is the Messiah. The only hope is the Messiah. Nothing is going to change without the Messiah. And the faithful ones truly believe that he is coming. Right? Simeon is one of those guys, one of those people. And the day has come, apparently, verse 27 to 32. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law... He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So the time has come. And as it seems, God has perfectly time the arrival of Jesus' family to the temple and Simeon. They're crossing paths. You ever had cross paths with someone just at the perfect time and just gone, 
what are you doing here? Or, you know, perfect timing. And now the, the area of the temple that they're in is, um, they're in a massive part, right? They're this place outside of the, the, the sacrifice area and all that. Um, it's full of people. They're there for various reasons. There would have been lots of hustle and bustle. There would have been other mothers there with babies doing the same sort of um, process as Mary. But when Simeon laid eyes on this baby, uh, on, on Jesus, he knew immediately by the Spirit of God that Jesus is the Messiah. You can't just pick that out yourself, right? You, you just can't. That's a, that is a Holy Spirit signifier. Um, Simeon has been waiting and hoping and searching day and night for this moment. Uh, because the Lord told him, remember that specifically, you're not going to die until you lay eyes on the Messiah. You'd be looking for him too, right? If you had that sort of absolute clear promise from the Lord, you'd be, you'd be watching, you'd be looking out. And so this is the moment he's been waiting for. This moment right here, he's, he's got this baby and he's now staring at the Saviour of the world. He's staring, at, he's staring into the eyes of salvation. He, he's face to face with the Christ, the Son of God. And salvation is alive and well, right? Thank God, what a relief, what comfort, what consolation to know that God is still providing for his people. And so he breaks out into a song. This is the fifth song. Uh, we're only in the second chapter of the Gospel of Luke, but this is the fifth song already that people have just burst out into praise for what God has done. Verse 29, Lord, now are you letting... It's not going to sound like a song to us, you know, if you're not really familiar with the culture, but it's a song nonetheless. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Jesus is salvation. Uh, just as God has promised, the Saviour has arrived. God promised it, it happens. This is, this is it. This is why we cling to the word of God. Because what is said is, is what is done. Every time. And it's not the saviour just for Israel, but for the whole world. Right? Jesus is a light for the revelation of the Gentiles, as Pastor John said. Yep, I'm a Gentile here, I'm a non-Jewish person. And so are most of you, I presume. Um, he's a light for the revelation to the Gentiles, but he's also the glory of the people of Israel. And the moment Simeon turned his eyes upon Jesus, he knew not only that the Saviour has come for real, but that he could now uh, literally rest in peace because he has met his Saviour. I love what R.C. Sproul says here. He says, do you see what's behind the song? And then he starts talking from Simeon's perspective, saying, 
Oh, Lord, I don't have to watch this child grow up. I don't have to watch him talk with the lawyers in the temple as a lad of 12 years old. I don't have to watch him multiply the fishes and the loaves to feed 5,000 people to be convinced. I don't have to watch him walk on the water or turn water into wine. I don't have to be on the Mount of Transfiguration. I don't have to be an eyewitness of the resurrection or his ascension into heaven. I have seen all I need to see. Now let me die in peace. One glimpse of the Christ child and Simeon was ready to go home to God. Wearsby said, He was a man who was led by the Spirit of God, taught by the Word of God, and obedient to the will of God, and therefore he was privileged to see the salvation of God. How important is it Uh, How important it is for people to see God's salvation, Jesus Christ, before they see death. How important. There's nothing more important for your own soul. You must see Jesus before you take your last breath. Have you seen God's salvation for yourself? Do the eyes of your heart see Jesus as Lord and Saviour? They must. They must. You need to see him before your death. You need to put your trust in him before you go to sleep for the last time and nobody knows when that's going to be. The next hour is not promised to you. It's not promised to me. But for those who have, we can be ready to die well like Simeon. I love the way that uh, John Jowett describes death for a Christian. He says this, Death is not the end, it's only a new beginning. Death is not the master of the house, he is only a porter at the king's lodge, appointed to open the gate and let the king's guests into the realm of eternal day. What a picture. And Simeon held this baby carefully in his hands. Real careful. If like, yeah, I've held my kids pretty careful, but if I knew this is the son of God, I'd be I'd be taking extra care. Simeon held this baby carefully in his hands, but 30 years or so after, the hands of the Jewish people would have Jesus bashed, scourged and crucified. The Messiah, who is the glory of Israel, would be put to death by the very people he came to save. But that's not the end, right? Because on the third day, the the powerful hand of God lifted his son up out of the grave and he he lifted him up into glory and handed over to him all authority in heaven and on earth all of it and now we can look to jesus by faith and receive consolation comfort and relief knowing that 
If our trust is in Christ, our sins have been forgiven. You need that relief. And the pains of this world are only temporary. You might be hurting now, but relief, once for all, relief is on its way because Jesus is coming again. And we hope for him. We trust God's word that he is coming again and we look for him. He's come once, humble, baby in a manger, not the second time. Second time, judge. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. The Messiah has come and God's plan is unfolding. It is. Well, I was thoroughly relieved when my second child was born. Uh, born alive and well, but I, I certainly didn't have a strange man come up to me, <laughs> take my child out of my hand and start singing praises to God and prophesying, right? Uh, but Mary and Joseph did, apparently. I'm not sure how that went down, that conversation, you know. Yeah, um, Simeon, can I, can I take your baby or, you know, whatever. I don't know. But however that come about, he took him and he praised God. He broke out in song And it caused Mary and Joseph to marvel at what was being said about their child. Have a look at verse 33 to 35. It says, And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. I don't have a lot, much more time to speak, so I'm just going to um, briefly point out a couple of things here. Simeon has shifted from praise to prophecy. Uh, The the Holy Spirit is directing his words and and basically says to Mary, The destiny of your son is to divide the people. That's what he's going to do. The deepest thoughts of their heart are going to be revealed. Uh, The true condition of their soul is going to be exposed. Some will fall, some will rise. Some will be condemned, some will save. Your son is going to be a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. And how I hear about the foolishness of the Gentiles. He'll be a sign that's opposed. Your son is going to go on and perform many signs and wonders to prove beyond doubt who he is, yet some will still oppose and outright reject him. They'll ignore the signs. Jesus has been appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Um, Isaiah the prophet warned the Jews about this. The apostle Peter warned the Jewish leaders about all this in Acts 4. Uh, And in his first letter to Christians, uh, Peter reminds the believers that people are going to reject Jesus Christ, that he is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. In other words, Jesus is an absolute stench to some 
and a sweet aroma to others. You and I can think about it this way. And the whole, Bi- the whole Bible testifies to this truth. When it comes to God, there is no neutrality. None. What do I mean by that? There's no fence sitting with God. None. Uh, no one is neutral in faith. Uh, to use New Testament language, you're either in Christ or you're not. Uh, you're, you're for him you're against, or you're against him. You're condemned or saved. No one is in the middle. Every single person on the planet Earth is on one side or another. Ultimately, technically. Simeon prophesies one more thing to Mary. He says, a sword will pierce your own, uh, through your own soul also. I know firsthand the soul-piercing feeling of losing a child. And Mary, she's going to feel that too. Because the day is coming when um, Jesus, her dear son, will be marred beyond recognition, hung upon a cross, and a spear will pierce through his heart. That's the moment I believe Simeon is pointing to here. That final moment when a mother watches her son take his very last breath. A soul-piercing moment. Now, Simeon has acted like a witness uh, to these things today. This is what the, the, the writer of the gospel is doing. He's bringing in lots of witnesses for us so that we may have certainty about the things of Jesus Christ. Simeon is one of those, and Anna is another from 30, 36 onwards. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna is similar to Simeon in that she lives wholeheartedly for God. She's in the temple fasting and praying night and day. And though she's really old, she, she, just, she doesn't depart from that temple. She is convinced that the Messiah is coming. Why? Because she's one of the faithful few who, who truly believe what God says will come about. So she's waiting for that promised Messiah. And I wonder if she had conversations with Simeon. Uh, as they're hanging out in the temple, they might have crossed paths and discussed these matters. I, I don't know. But when she sees what's going on with Jesus, uh, she knows. She knows straight away. She knows that salvation has come to Israel. She knows that the Messiah is here in the flesh. And as soon as she knew, she began praising God, right? giving thanks to God. And then she starts evangelizing. Um, she starts spreading the good news that the Savior has come. Anna goes round to all those she knows is looking for the Saviour and waiting for the consolation and redemption of Israel. For those who are looking for the relief and, and the comfort uh, that, of knowing that God has provided a Saviour. It's quite the picture, eh? You've, you picture all this busy temple area and you can imagine how this would have stirred the people because that's what the temple was all about, really. 
Um, you know, I picture um, Mary and, and Joseph and Simeon all huddled around this, this baby Jesus and Anna's running around, you know, telling people, praising God, pointing people, she's pointing people to the Saviour, right? Um, telling all who will listen that the Messiah is here, literally here, uh, that the Christ has arrived and, and the people gather around and everyone's standing around staring at the Saviour. This baby is the centre of attention. They're staring at, at salvation himself. Everybody has turned their eyes upon Jesus. If the Apostle Peter was there at that point in time, I reckon he'd be running around with Anna, Anna shouting, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Turn to Jesus. Go to Jesus. The Saviour's here. He's come. There's no other name. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And this is our task too, right? This is our mission. We tell other people about the Saviour so that their soul will be forgiven and saved and have eternal life and they'll know God and give glory to God and fulfill the actual purpose of their life. We've got to let people know that Jesus has already come and he's made the way for your sins to be forgiven, to be dealt with, to be washed clean, washed, cleansed, made white as snow. And it's by faith in him. He did all the work on the cross. And now, faith, salvation, forgiveness is available to all who trust in Christ. We want others to know the relief that comes from knowing the Saviour. And when Mary and Joseph had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favour of God was upon him. We'll continue the story next week. But for now, thank God for Jesus. Amen.